You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by UFM Underwear. Head to UFMunderwear.com and use promo code BREAKDOWN for $5 off your purchase. UFM Underwear, support your manhood. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. And joining me this, uh, this episode, as he does every week, is Will Miles from his site, readandreaction.com. And you can find him on Twitter as well at WillMilesSEC. Will, it's good, to, uh, it's, it's good to beat cupcakes like you're supposed to. Yeah, well, I think people people were uh, reaching out to me after the first quarter asking what was going wrong, but uh, just had to tell them to relax and that Florida would eventually take control, and, that, and that's what happened. And really, you know, the second, third, and fourth quarter was what we'd expect to see. And and even in the first quarter, there were a few miscues, but uh, beyond that, Florida still dominated it. So good to get a big win. Um, obviously, there were a couple of injuries that are of concern, but, uh, you know, that happens when you play football. That's why you got to recruit well. That's why you got to have – um, solid strength and conditioning programs and why you got to get freshmen playing time in these sorts of games so that when it's time for them to step up, when the uh, teeth of the schedule come, they're ready to go. Absolutely. We'll get into that. Uh, and yeah, definitely agree there uh, about the, uh, you know, and, and the freshmen that did come in and, and get to play. We saw them early and often uh, and uh, impressive uh, for, for the little time that they were in, uh, but we'll get into all that here on this episode of Gators Breakdown. Dan Mullen had his uh, usual Monday press conference uh, updating the injuries. We'll get into that. Uh, we'll look uh, back a little bit at at the uh, UT Martin game and what Will saw and what he uh, was able to break down in his latest article on readingreaction.com. And also a quick look at Kentucky, uh, as of course, of the big news there of uh, Terry Wilson going down and them switching quarterbacks. But before we get there, Remember, you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. There you'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as articles from the News 4 Jack sports team. Catch the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. When using those services, please share, rate, and review the show. Follow Gators Breakdown on social media, on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. And also at News 4 Jacks. Don't forget, Talking with Troop every week exclusively on news4jacks.com. Ben Troop joining me every week to take a take a look back and a look forward. Uh, and every week this season, exclusive to newsforwardjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. Ben Troop uh, will catch us usually uh, posted on Thursdays, but uh, it'll be you know Wednesday, Thursday-ish uh, when, when you can find that. I will be sure to share, share it uh, on, on social media. And uh, get your Gators Breakdown gear at squadlocker.com. Head over there and click in the top right of the screen. Click on Find Your Store, type Gators Breakdown, and all the gear is available right there. So, Will, of course, the big news. I uh, don't know how many times I've got Twitter messages asking the the, the, the injury status of uh, C.J. Henderson and Kadarius, Kadarius Tony. Not as bad as initially thought, luckily, here, uh, if uh, if all of us to be believed of what Dan Mullen's saying. Uh, Kadarius Tony out for a couple of weeks with a shoulder injury. Um Nothing broken in the wrist, forearm area uh, from, from what's going around. Uh, that was the scare there, uh, of course. And uh, C.J. Henderson is doubtful this week versus Kentucky with an ankle sprain. Mullen said Henderson wants to play, uh, but won't until he's 100%, Mullen says. So, you know, and, and well, I'll get your thought on this, too. It's been going around on social media a little bit. I know there's a thought out there that, you know, save him until you need him, and maybe that's the Auburn game. You know, I, I have no problem with that, but – you know, if he wants to play, you know, and he's 100% before the Auburn game, then let him play because the way I look at it, this is his probably his last season here. You know, he, he doesn't have many games left in orange and blue in a Gators uniform. And, uh, you know, he probably wants to make the most of it. 
Yeah, I mean, and you can get injured in practice. You can get injured in a lot of different circumstances. I don't know that necessarily, um, you know, we see the injuries in the game. So so that's the stuff that we think about. But you can get injured doing a lot of different things. And I, you play 12, 13 games a year. This is what these guys do really for a living for the most part. I mean, or at least they're trying to do it for a living. I, I think, you know, if, if you're not going to play them – against Kentucky if they're healthy, if you're not going to play them against Tennessee when they're healthy, why were you playing them against UT Martin when they were healthy? Like at that point, you know, why not, why not just wait until the sixth game of the year to put these guys in? <laughs> I don't want to sound like the old man on the block, but in some capacity, I, I think you put your guys out there because they need to be sharp when they go out there mm-hmm. and play against Georgia, when they play against Auburn and when they play against LSU. And then the other thing is, is that, you know, from the standpoint of awards and stuff like that, they need to accumulate stats as well. So, um, and they need to put, put things down on film for the NFL for those guys to evaluate. So there are a lot of reasons for them to be out there. I think if people are healthy, they play. If they're not healthy, they don't. I think the only reason you don't play in a game like against UT Martin is if you're dinged up or if, you know, there's just a need to get the people behind you playing time. And that's why we saw guys in early and often. I mean, even before Henderson was injured, they brought in Chester Kimbrough and all of a sudden my mentions were lit up with, is there something wrong with Henderson? It's like, <laughs> it's like no, when you're playing somebody like this, you bring in backups like early on when the game isn't way out of hand because you, you, you want to give them experience when it's zero zero, when there's a little bit of pressure on them. So, um, no, I think you play people when they're healthy. I think you sit them when they're not. I do agree with him that in this stretch, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to bring him back when he's not 100%. Yeah. If for no other reason, because you don't want him to injure something else or injure himself more severely so that you can't play him in those important games. But you know, if he's 100%, you bring him out there. I will. I'm going to get your opinion on this, man. Uh, I am trying not to look at this through orange and blue glasses uh, with, with Henderson being out, with Tony being out. Not that big of a deal right now i mean i i know kentucky could you know be better than what i think they are of course they're going through a quarterback issue a uh, injury with terry wilson and you know we'll get into that later on but uh as electric as electric as Kadarius tony is i think he's i don't necessarily say replaceable but you uh for for what he brings for what he actually does but i think you know florida can adjust to just to being without him, especially as deep as they are at receiver, or if you want to throw Copeland into a similar style role, you're okay there. And then, you know, Henderson, for as good as I think he is, and what you wanted the top cornerbacks, if not the best in college football, I mean, you know, there is some confidence, I think, in, in what we've seen from previous freshmen do at, at Florida at the cornerback position. And then what these guys, I know it was UT Martin. I, I know it was an overmatched opponent, but you know, you had, you had Kyrie Elam out there making a pick that was you know, textbook. You did every, no matter who the opposing receiver was, he did everything he was supposed to do in that situation to get the pick. You saw Chester Kimbrough and uh, in, they're making tackles uh, in one-on-one situations and, you know, and Jadon Hill as well, making a big play, having to chase down a quarterback on the big play. You know, yes, the uh, the opponent does come into play here, but you know, given Florida's history, given uh, the way those guys are recruited and the coaching that these guys are getting, I mean, uh, I'm okay in feeling uh, in saying that I think Florida's okay uh, moving forward uh, against Kentucky, Tennessee, uh, and Towson, of course. Yeah, I mean, you never want to have an injury. But with these guys going down, I think you could feel pretty comfortable with the guys who are coming in. I mean, you know, Jacob Copeland ran the exact play that Kadarius Tony got injured on mm-hmm. later in the game and and was able to run it effectively and really sort of give Florida a burst. And I think we'll probably see some of that moving forward where some of the Tony role will be picked up by by Copeland as opposed to, you know, moving somebody like Hammond or Swain or something like that in there. And then when it comes to Henderson, I mean, again, the guy might end up being a top 10 draft pick in the NFL. So you lose something when he goes down, but you got to think about who you're playing. And so, you know, with Terry Wilson out, now you're looking at Sawyer Smith as the quarterback for Kentucky. And then you go to Tennessee and that dumpster fire with, with Guarantano who hasn't played very well and it's on the road and the swamp. Yeah. (laughs) Before you move. Before the season, I didn't know this. He had to correct everybody. I don't know why he waited a year to do it. I've been saying Garantano, Garantano, uh, Guarantano, whatever. He finally had to correct people. It's Garantano. Garantano. So why it takes a year for him to correct people, I will never know. But it wow. is Garantano. Well, his yards above replacement is pretty bad this year. So, <laughs> uh, so and, and that is reflected by losses to Georgia State and BYU. Um 
<laughs> so, you know, you look at that and you figure Florida should be able to hold their own against against Tennessee. And then you got Towson coming up after that. And then you've got Auburn. So, again, if, you were, if you're going to have injuries, this is probably the stretch you'd want to have them in. But you never want the injuries. But, yeah. you know, the, the biggest problem is going to be now you're one player thinner than you were before. Mm-hmm. And so if the ankle injury turns into something that's a little bit more lingering and then someone else in the defensive backfield gets dinged, well, now you don't have any depth. Now you've got guys out there tired in the fourth quarter because they played more. They, can't, they haven't been able to have the same rotation. The freshmen who are out there, you know, don't necessarily have the same conditioning as guys who've been in the program for three or four years. So, um, you know, I just think there there's always a risk when you get injuries. But this is one of the things with the SEC is that, you know, it's really easy to lead off. So LSU beats Texas this weekend and everybody thinks LSU's great. Well, three or four injuries later, LSU might not look so good. So by the time, by the time Florida plays LSU, the teams might look very, very different than they did in week two. And and I would agree with you that in week two, LSU looked really, really good, but the attrition starts to take its toll. Everyone in the SEC this year that Florida plays kind of has a gauntlet that comes up. Um, it just so happens that LSU starts with Florida, whereas Florida starts with Auburn. But um, again, I don't think an injury is ever really a good thing. I mean, you, mm-hmm. but if you're thinking about preparing for late in the year, this does give those freshmen time to play in SEC games where it's zero zero, where they're being depended on, not where Henderson can come in to bail them out if they don't play very well. So I think there's value to that. I think there's value to that next year because if you figure that Henderson and potentially Marco Wilson could both leave, then, then you need those guys to have had playing time and meaningful playing time. And they weren't going to get a whole lot of meaningful playing time with those two guys on the outside this year. So this maybe gives them a little bit of a chance to get that. And maybe there's a silver lining to the injury. Yeah, absolutely. And also uh, Mullen uh, mentioned uh, in the press conference, he expects safety Jawan Taylor and Amari uh, linebacker Amari Bernie uh, to be back this week. Looks like Brad Stewart will be back if uh, what I hear and social media posts are uh, to be believed. Uh, and with the emergence of Sean Davis in, the, in these first two games, the safety position has a little bit of depth and may uh, have two really good frontline starters in Stewart and Davis. Uh, if those are the guys that start, you know, I don't know if Stewart will start and still may be kind of a part of the punishment or, or whatever he's going through. Uh, but, you know, I, I think those are the two safeties everybody wants to see together and just kind of see what the ceiling is at the safety position, uh, especially given you're going back dating to the first game and, and, and all the missed tackles. Sure, but you know, I mean, part of ability is dependability, and you yep. need to be, and you need to be on the field. And so, I'm going to believe it when I see it with him out there. And I think the safeties played better this game compared to what they did the last one. Obviously, a little bit different opponent, but um, again, in the right spot, the tackling was better. It wasn't great, but there, the, but the tackling was better. Um, you know, a few explosive plays, and other than that, the defense was lights out. Again, we know who they were playing, but at the same time, you know, you give up 3.9 yards per play over any over any stretch and that's pretty good so it would have been number one in fbs last year if they can if they can keep that up so florida's defense played very very well the first two weeks um haven't had any injuries up front and up front's really sort of been terrorizing everybody um, and that helps on the back end and helps the safeties as well so um you know yes i'm interested to see what they do um as, as they get people back and as as everybody gets healthy back there but uh you know, certainly they're going to need Stewart as the season goes on. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, but, you know, the question is going to be, can you depend on him? Because um, up until now, they haven't been able to do that. And that, you know, it would be great if he had two year, two extra games of experience and getting sharp before these big games come up. They're going to need to get him some time. And so I expect them to do that moving forward. But, um, you know, again, you, you need to be able to depend on someone on the backside. Know he's going to be in the right place, do the right thing. Um He's made some fantastic plays when he's been out there, but on a play-to-play basis, is he always in the right spot is something that he's going to need to prove. Absolutely. So, all right, well, here we go, heading into SEC play uh, after two games. And the biggest worry, uh, I think, for uh, Gator fans out there is the offensive line and and the run game not being there. And, you know, it was the angst of Mullen Saturday night and, and the topic you hit on first and uh, looking at your game review for the UT Martin and it really M- Mullen really spoke in Monday's press conference to uh, the little things are uh, you know is what's making the difference right now among the offensive line I uh, really hit home it's more in the preparation because you know it's not that uh, not that they're getting beat it's just some bad technique that, that that may cost them now but you know may not cost them now in these first two games but might in, in SEC play so well, we both decided to take a look last year as a comparison. Uh, on the last episode of Gators Breakdown, I went broader 
uh, with the look than you did. Uh, first game of the season last year, I'll, a little refresher here. First game of the season last year versus Charleston Southern, Florida averaged 5.3 yards a carry. And then the next week versus Kentucky, 4.4. Um, so, uh, so far this year, 1.8 yards per carry versus Miami and then 6.1 in the past game versus UT Martin. So it was 4.85 yards per carry through two games last season and 3.95 so far through two games versus, you know, similar defenses, uh, this year. So, Will, you took that a step further, uh, took out the QB running, uh, also to compare, uh, where Florida stood last year's run game and where they stand now. Yeah, so last year in the first two games, they had 52 rushes for 255 yards. That was 4.9 yards per rush, and they had two 20-plus yard runs. Um, Again, that's without Franks. This year, 53 rushes, 236 yards, 4.5 yards per rush, and one explosive play. So really, it's the difference in one 20-yard play. And if Malik Davis catches that pitch Mm -hmm. from Franks in the game against Miami, not only does that game become much more wide open – because I think he probably goes for a touchdown, but he probably gets at least 20 out of that play. And you're basically looking at the exact same running statistics that they had last year. Now, Miami went out and did not look great against North Carolina. And so that does make you start to think, okay, well, you know, is Miami as good as we think they are? And last year we were sort of saying the opposite against Kentucky. I mean, we came out of that Kentucky game thinking, woe is us. Oh, this is going to be a long year. And it turns out Kentucky was a pretty good team. So, yeah. um, you know, so I think you look, you got one cupcake where you really dominated them on the ground. Same thing in this game, really. I mean, if you look at the rushing yards, 38 for 231, you know, that's a Mullen offense. Whereas the 28 for 50 in the first game against, against Miami is not. So I, I think there's there's reason for concern. I understand why people are concerned, but I think there's also reason for optimism in that it wasn't until the South Carolina game that Florida really started to run the ball significantly last year. They basically averaged 4.9 yards per rush in the first two games and 4.9 yards per rush all the way up through the Missouri game. And then they averaged basically a yard more per rush in those last four games of the year. And so I expect, you know, this was something we always sort of talk, we talked about during the offseason um, in regards to the offensive line, that the critical point was sort of where's the baseline, because we know that Hevesy and Mullen are going to have them coached up throughout the year. But if the baseline's really bad, then it's going to take a while to get them up to where the offensive line was last year. I think this is an indication that the baseline is a little bit lower than the offensive line from last year, but not so much that we need to be enormously concerned. But. I do think that they're going to need to get them in the right frame of mind for that middle section. I mean, last year, I'm not sure the offensive line was really ready for those games. We'll see whether they're ready this year. Well, are you, are you a little surprised by the slow start? Uh, I know I am. I, I did mention that in the last episode. Uh, I thought they'd be further along kind of picking up, not necessarily right where they left off because of all the inexperience, but these guys had more experience in the system to be, you know, the second year under Mullen and, and, and John Hevesy and not a lot of starting experience, but they've been in the program. They were able to, to watch tape for a whole year. They were able to go through the program all through the, the, the weight lifting all, you know, all weight training uh, for a year. And uh, you know, the experience factor wasn't as dire as someone to make it out because of replacing four out of five starters. But we know Buchanan and Heggy technically starters uh, there. Uh, you know, you had a you know, article you, you come out with uh, about a month or so before the season started and kind of relating it and, and comparing it to offensive line that Mississippi state that Dan Mullen had to, to come in with and that were also lacking in experience and, and the way they were able to, to still run the ball. I think just, you know, with the depth that Florida's running backs and and the passing game that they could at least count on, that the run game would at least be a, a little more open than what it is so far. Yeah, maybe. I think if you went back and asked Mullen in a private moment and actually got a real answer, he'd probably tell you that they were more concerned about keeping Franks upright and that they probably spent more time pass blocking than run blocking, figuring mm. that the run blocking would be something that guys would pick up, and maybe they didn't pick it up quite as quickly. Because I'll be honest, the pass protection's actually been very, very good. Mm-hmm. Like the, I, At no point in either of the games against Miami or, or UT Martin have I felt like there's been a free rusher coming at Frank's where he's had to unload it and he's just gotten drilled. Um, you know, and I mean, if you're a Miami fan, you saw that repeatedly for Jaron Williams, mm-hmm. and there's been none of that, right? Frank's is not... It- yeah, and not only that, Will, just comparison to, to college football right now and, and the SEC in particular with all these quarterbacks getting hurt. Yeah, well, I mean, so 
Franks isn't getting drilled, which is partly partly an indication that he's getting the ball out quick enough. Mm-hmm. It's partly an indication that when they do decide to go deep, they're giving enough help that they're able to pick up the defense. It's partly that they're choosing to go deep against the right defenses. Um, but then part of it is the, the offensive line is playing well in the passing game. So I suspect that maybe the lack of a running game has something to do with just a lack of emphasis maybe on it to start with during, during camp that, you know, the, the thought process was these guys would be ready for the running game and they needed to emphasize the passing game to make sure that they protected Franks and really to make sure that they were able to execute their entire offense. And, and that may be coming back to bite them a little bit. And I suspect that, that there will be an emphasis on it before the game against Kentucky, because mm-hmm. I think they're going to want to show that they can go out and run the ball against Kentucky and certainly, you know, a game on the road and, and, you know, Kentucky's wounded, but you figure they're going to come out and throw some haymakers early on and, and Florida's going to try to combat that. Yeah. Something else that might back that thought up will too, is you go back to springtime and it happens, I think a few times in fall camp too, where, you know, we heard Michael P Ryan wasn't necessarily taking a bunch of snaps. You know, they, you know, they, they, they know what they have in him, uh, of course, but there could be a little bit of rust of, of course, you know, not going through the spring, um, and you know, splitting carries with Jordan Scarlett last year, uh, they knew what they had in him, so he didn't go through, through some spring, uh, maybe some scrimmages in fall as well, where he wasn't necessarily getting a whole lot of carries because they wanted to get some of the, the, the you know, you know, if more, uh, less experienced running backs, uh, more carries there, so maybe that is something that, that that's bleeding over into now, maybe. I mean, I, I think some of it is just again, I think regardless of what happened against, uh, against North Carolina, Miami's got a pretty good front seven. And so you had a really inexperienced offensive line up against a really against a really good front seven, and they shut them down. And there were a few. I mean, basically, the running game is one of those things where um, everybody has to do their job because if one guy shoots a gap, the play gets blown up and it just doesn't go anywhere. Um, it, whereas in the passing game, there are times you can do some things to sort of get around some of the limitations that you have. And I, I don't know that necessarily you can do that if you're just trying to line up and run the ball. The other thing is they have not really run the ball with Franks very much. Mm-hmm. And that takes a dimension out of the game, out of the running game that was there in those last four games last year. So I do think that there's something to the fact that they're trying to make sure that Franks gets to the teeth of their schedule ha- healthy. And I think once they get to the teeth of the schedule, you'll see the running game open up a little bit, if for no other reason, because he'll start to hold on to the ball a little bit more. You saw that a little bit against UT Martin. There was one play where he where he broke one and really should have gone out of bounds, but instead took the hit. And you don't want to see that if you're a Florida fan, because I, I think him running the ball is going to be important. And um, you know, at least against Miami, especially, they did not do that very often. I think he had seven rushes. And in this one, he had six rushes. And last year, in those last four games, he was getting like 14, 15 rushes a game. So, you know, again, I think that maybe has something to do with it, too, is that Mullen's, Mullen's entire running game is predicated on numbers. Mm-hmm. And, and if he doesn't have the – if the numbers are right – Franks is going to have to pull the ball if the guy crashes, but you also wonder if they sort of have instructed him not to do that because they want to work on some things too. And and this game was probably an opportunity to do that. Well, uh, I'm going to have to tell our listeners we 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 don't really plan, you know, we, we, we'll hit talking points, but it's not like you knew I was going there next. So it was perfect segue uh, talking about Franks and, and the run because you know with SEC play starting, it's exactly where I was, it's the, the exact topic of uh, Franks is exactly where I was going next and, and kind of an extension of where you just hit. And uh, you and I are on the same page that we uh, we see Franks taking uh, a larger role with the run game, still figuring things out. Uh, you, you mentioned that in your article as well. Of you know, uh, I think the, they're going to bank on Felipe Franks a little bit more. So you know. Uh, you know, while they're figuring things out uh, in the run game, you know, I, I think we'll see the run game open up a bit more. And I think that's, that's because it, that includes Franks. Uh, so, you know, not only will it be his arm that'll carry this team a bit, but I think his legs as well. You know, I, I expect him to run a bit more and, and maybe Emory Jones too, uh, coming off the bench. Uh, I, I think Mullen opens up the run game with the QBs too. So you know, get the speed option going, I get the QB power run game going. I think that's a trickle down to, to get the offensive line and, and the running backs going too. Uh, would, would, would Mullen, you know, good enough, uh, you know, with play calling and adjustments that I'll think we'll see, you know, something open up there and, and early passing game as well will be huge. Uh, we'll see defenses try and stop this run game uh, first. Franks will probably have plenty of opportunities to, to open up the offense of the passing game. So, you know, I expect 
kind of like a lot of the way these other, other games dating back to last year. And so far this year, I expect those early screens, swings, you know, easy completion uh, plays early on to get the defenses moving side to side before attacking downfield or attacking with the run game. And, you know, smart decisions, uh, I think, for Franks will be key here uh, early on in the game uh, so you can keep the offense on the field and, and keep converting third downs. And you know, Florida was much better on third downs uh, than compared to, to the Miami game uh, against, against UT Martin. So much better. You know, two for 10 versus the Hurricanes, nine for 13 versus UT Martin. You know, while Franks was in the game, Florida was seven of nine on third downs with Franks converting six of those with his arms or his legs. Uh, the last five were all converted and all converted through the air. So, you know, one of those being a third and 15 with a 23-yard completion to Trevon Grimes. So, Will, we talk about little things, and I'm not necessarily – I don't necessarily know if we can equate quarterback running to a, a little thing in Dan Mullen's offense. But uh, the, uh, in the grand scheme of things, I, just think, I, I do think that's one thing that we may see open this offense up that we haven't seen these first two games is, is Frank being – uh, Frank's being a integral part of the run game. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't honestly know what Mullen's going to do because Frank's has been really, really good through the air thus far. Yeah. And so I don't know that you want to expose him to the kind of hits that he was exposed to last year if he's going to continue slinging the ball around the way that he has. I mean, and and the issue is is that if if based on what we saw from Trask and Emory Jones in the third and fourth quarter the other night, those guys are not going to play at the same level as Frank's will. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, it's hard to complete more than 93% of your passes <laughs> against air. The guy played great. Now, I mean, you can say all you want about the competition, but you know, other than the turnovers, I thought he played really well against Miami too. So, so you've got a guy who's playing effectively from the pocket. He's winning you the game. I mean, this is the thing I think that people that I think I said this last week that the narrative or maybe two weeks ago that the narrative coming out of the Miami game would have been that Felipe Franks won Florida the game because my because Florida couldn't run the ball had he just not thrown the awful interception at the end. Now the awful interception counts and obviously that's something that he has to clean up. But you know, he comes out then against UT Martin and just has a flawless performance. And I'm really interested to see what he's going to do through the air because I, I don't know that you want to expose a guy to 14 hits a game against a team like Georgia, unless, or maybe you save those 14 hits mm. until you come up against Georgia. You don't want to do it against Kentucky. Why bother? Like, if, if he can win it through the air, let him win it through the air, build up that confidence. And then when it's time to break out the running against Georgia, when you're getting stuck, when you're getting stagnant, when they're loading up the box and you can't get P. Ryan going, you know, all of a sudden you have the opportunity to do some of the things that they did against Michigan and Florida State last year. I think that makes some sense. I, I, did, I am not in favor of getting the starting quarterback hit if your offense doesn't need it to move. And, and let's be honest, the first drive of the game um, – you know, Pitts falls mm-hmm. on a basically a perfect play call, and Frank's delivered it perfectly, and he falls. Otherwise, that's probably a touchdown. And I think even if you look at the Miami game, if the turnovers are not – if a couple of those fumbles go Florida's way, it's a two-touchdown win. So, you know, I know some people are unimpressed with the win over Miami. I'm, I mean, obviously, I would have liked to have seen it be three touchdowns. But, um, you know, I think Florida dominated that game when you really look at it from a – um, from a statistical standpoint. And then um, UT Martin obviously did that as well. So if Franks keeps playing the way he's playing, I don't want him to get hit all the time. I, I don't think it's a good thing to have your quarterback getting hit. And I mean, Mullen experienced that a few years ago with Nick Fitzgerald. I think what he broke his ankle or something like nine or 10 games into the year. And, you know, you don't want that to happen to Franks because if they lose Franks that um, I don't know if the backup quarterbacks are ready for prime time against LSU and Georgia and teams like that. Yeah. And um I think, you know, for, for part of what I was going after, you know, I, I do think, you know, I mentioned this yesterday with uh, Will Salmon is too, you know, we didn't see a whole lot of outside runs either. And I think some of those outside runs are, are dependent on Franks and that little speed option there. So not necessarily, uh, you know, him not getting all the yards either. But, uh, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll see. You know, Kentucky will be bringing, uh, you know, pretty rebuilt secondary. I remember going back and, you know, looking at the season preview, we're looking at there. So, you know, there may be the chance uh, of, uh, you know, Kentucky – uh, I think Stoops likes likes his defensive line. He's he's bringing uh, uh, you know against the Gators. But uh, you know, if Franks gets the time to throw, like he's had the first two games, then you could be picking apart a a new secondary uh, for Kentucky. Well, one thing 
um, that I really like that you pointed out that in your latest article, you know, Frank's completing 78% of his throws this year and quote, he's throwing to the right receiver based on what the coverage dictates. And uh, it was big. It, it, that's a sign of progression. Uh, I know you, had, you, you, you were, you were big on, you know, last week on Frank's progression, not the regression that the uh, narrative is being thrown out there for that. And I mentioned on the podcast yesterday as well, you know, I, I know it's boring to say and at times boring to watch, but, you know, take what the defense gives you, but, you know, that's what Mullen's offense is, is kind of predicated on. So as long uh, as Free, Felipe Franks is taking care of the ball and then hitting the big plays, big plays when they're there, converting third downs and, you know, then, you know, that's that's doing what he's supposed to do. And if he does that, that's going to be enough to win a lot of games. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people made fun of me a couple of years ago when I wrote about Joe Burrow and the idea that he was that his completion percentage in high school would translate because when you looked at him on film, you could see that he was throwing and the guys he was throwing to were wide open. And that was why I was so high on Burrow, because he was making the right read, taking what the defense gave him and just throwing it in the right spot. And it didn't matter if he had the arm strength and it didn't matter if he had the perfect accuracy. The guy was so wide open, it didn't matter. So you look at a throw like the touchdown throw to, to Tyree Cleveland. I mean, that's something where the guy's wide open. You have to hit that. And that's a throw that maybe a year ago, Cleveland's like diving for the end zone because he tries to pipe it in there. And that doesn't happen anymore. The throw to Van Jefferson was just gorgeous. I mean, it hit him right in stride and, and was a beautiful touchdown. I think that's what you see when you start looking at Franks is I honestly can't remember a throw he made where he was maybe the throw that he sort of threw off his back foot into the end zone where mm -hmm. he was trying to hit Kyle Pitts, and I think he didn't see that the safety was coming over underneath it. But, you know, I mean, he had that, and then he had the Hail Mary at the end of the half. Other than that, no incompletions. Uh, do you remember any throw where he was, like, trying to fit it in past the defensive back? Yeah. Like, I don't remember any of them. And so what that really says is that he's going to the right place with the ball. Now, I know some people think that he's being protected by Mullen. And I think in some capacity that's true. I think they're also protecting the offensive line a little bit too. But, you know, they've got all those little screens and hitches and all the little things that they throw that are dictated by what the defense does. And if the defense is trying not to get beat deep, then Franks is going to throw little two, three, four, five-yard passes in order to sort of move the ball slowly down the field. And again, I think when you go back to where the running of Franks makes a difference, I think it's really when you get to those third and two, yeah. um, third and two areas where you know a team has made you dink and dunk down the field. You convert the third down. All of a sudden, they come up and then you try to hit them deep. So, yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> you you don't go twenty five of twenty seven without throwing the ball to the right receiver an awful lot of the time. It doesn't mean he's perfect, but again, when you start looking at all of his underlying metrics, so ten yards per attempt for the game, twelve point two in the first half. Um, his yards above replacement was 2.68 in this game. So he was 1.19 against Miami. So now he's up around one point. So I think he's 1.92 for the year, which is third in the SEC behind Burrow and Tua and just ahead of Fromm. So, you know, he's in that through two games. He's in the upper tier of the quarterbacks in the SEC. He's in the top four. And in fact, he's a little bit above Fromm. Now, you know, you can argue about who's played tougher opponents and all that sort of stuff. But end of the day, if you'd have told me, Two years ago, that Felipe Franks was going to be the top four quarterbacks in the SEC at any point in the season, we would have all taken it and uh, and gone to Vegas. So, you know, again, I, I think, is he perfect? No, but he's taking some steps. You're seeing some benefits. I think you're seeing that he really has picked up where he left off last year as his baseline. And the question is going to be when he gets into the tougher schedule, does is he is he able to maintain that level of play? I don't know that he necessarily is going to get better throughout the year. I think maybe what he might just be able to do is maintain his play as the schedule gets more difficult. And if he can do that, Florida's going to have a shot in all these games because you can offset talent differences. You can offset a lot of different things by having elite quarterback play. Yeah, believe me, I went to I went to enough spring practice. Well, we've seen Felipe Franks play enough. I went to enough spring practices. Went to the you know couple open practices uh, in the fall. It's hard to hit twenty five on twenty seven against air. So I mean, uh, so you know, it doesn't matter the opponent. Twenty five and twenty seven uh, is is remarkable. Uh, no matter uh, you know what what a defense is throwing at you, a defense, a lack of defense, uh, it, it does speak to some uh, progression. Because my my thing is, at least you're doing what you're supposed to do. It doesn't matter who the opponent is. At least you're doing what you're supposed to do. And uh, and well, you know, we'll see more uh, when Florida travels to Lexington and, and what Felipe France can do there, uh, and trying to get you know maybe a little revenge uh, versus uh, Kentucky. So. 
We'll talk about um, talking about some other you know little things that Florida improved on uh, this past week versus UT Martin in comparison to Miami. You know, lack of penalties, especially on defense. And uh, given that, you know, given you know who you were playing, you know, and, and you were playing with a lot of youth out there because of playing versus a cupcake. You know, it was great to see a lack of penalties and, and the stage not get too big for those those young players out there, especially those young DBs, especially you know, the, the the last drive versus Miami. Miami where Florida was getting called for pass interference calls, you know, left and right, you know, so not only playing well, but playing smart for those guys and, and the whole team as well. You know, I know the opponent, the opponent plays uh, a part in this, but you're know, not in playing smart, not in playing with effort, you know, so, so lack of penalties and, and, and improving tackling uh, are two aspects that, you know, played out well in comparison to the Miami game. Yeah, absolutely. So you got the two penalties for 25 yards, both on offense and both penalties, the offense was able to overcome, overcome and turn in, turn those into touchdown drives. And, you know, that's, again, I, I think you go back and look at how the offense is moving the ball and say they're moving it through the air and they're doing it through the air because of Franks in, in most regards. And, you know, in both cases, he was able to convert a big third down after a personal foul or an unnecessary roughness penalty on Brett Heggie. And then, uh, you know, was able to complete three straight passes after a holding penalty. Um, against Forsyth to, to move, move Florida down the field and get a touchdown on that drive too. So um, again, you're going to get penalties from time to time. You live with them, but they had nine in that first game. You've only got two now. Mullins teams at Mississippi state typically only had about six per game and Florida has had like seven and a half for the past decade. So, so, you know, Florida tends to be more penalized than other teams out there. Is that a discipline issue? Is that a reputation issue? I don't necessarily know. I know that under McElwain, it was a false start issue. So, um, you know, we can, we haven't seen many of those at all. And again, I think if we go back and look at the offensive line play, we can talk about the lack of push. We can talk about the, um, the pass blocking being pretty good, but they have not put the offense in bad situations with, with a whole lot of holding penalties, false start penalties, those sorts of things. Most of the penalties against Miami came on the defensive side of the ball with late hits and, and pass interferences. Um, I think there was one hold and then there were a couple of false starts in, against Miami or maybe one, one false start and a couple of holds. Um, uh, but the offensive line's holding up pretty well, not committing penalties, not putting the offense in a hole, which again helps the offense move and and doesn't kill drives. Well, I want to go back to a couple over unders uh, that we did before the season. I know we hit on this for the Miami game because of the ten sacks, but our over under number was thirty. We felt pretty good about Florida getting over that. Halfway there, <laughs> halfway there after two games for over under 30 sacks in the season for the Gators. So very, very impressive there for what they're able to do uh, through two games. And, uh, you know, we went and discussed the, you know, the lack of run game. And I think it was a, you know, a, a thousand yards for the Michael P. Ryan, too. So through two games, uh, I don't have the total yards in front of me there for, for, for P. Ryan, but uh, uh, it probably, uh, you know, one I think will nail really heavy on the uh, uh, on the over. Uh, and I know I went over a thousand yards for P. Ryan there, but uh, as of you know, right now through two games, not looking like uh, the, the pace is there for for P. Ryan and, and get to get those uh, thousand yards. Yeah, well, they haven't really given him the carries either. Yeah. They have not been giving him the ball. 35 times a game, which, you know, is probably good for his long-term prospects yeah. or his long-term career. But it is something that, you know, if you want to get a guy to a thousand yards, you're going to have to give him an awful lot of carries. And they haven't been effective enough on first down to give him a whole bunch of carries throughout the, uh, throughout the year. I think the other thing, I mean, you mentioned the defense and all the sacks, this defense has an opportunity to be really good. And they have an opportunity to be really good because the sacks are coming from all over the place. And one of the things coming into the game I wanted to look at was how the defensive line played and how they got pressure, especially considering you didn't figure that UT Martin was going to throw near as much as Miami did. They still had five stacks, five sacks and 10 tackles for loss. So not only are, and against Miami, I think it was 10 sacks and what, like 19 tackles for loss or something like that. So yeah, 16 in that one, yeah. 16. So they are in the backfield even when even when the team isn't throwing. And I think that's significant for, for, you know, you put the, you put the offense at a disadvantage, you know, second and 12, second and 14, and all of a sudden you can get off the field. There've been a lot of three and outs thus far. Um, the defense on a yards per play average is doing really, really well. Um, you know, so they have an opportunity to be good. Now I think injuries are going to play a role um, and really in terms of how good they can be. Uh, but, you know, you saw some reps from, TJ Slayton, you saw Chris Bogle out there in this game. You saw Zach Carter out there in this game. You saw 
um, you know, all sorts of guys out there who you don't normally see, but you know, there didn't really appear to be much of a drop off. Now, again, you know, the, the caveat of who they're playing, but um, you know, there wasn't a place where I said, Oh, that guy looks outmatched or that guy looks like, like he's not necessarily ready for this sort of thing. I think Bogle looked a little bit small, maybe for defensive end. <laughs> um, but you know, that also means he's going to have an awful lot of speed coming in. So um, yeah, I, I think Florida's defense has a chance to be really, really special. I think the the pressure that they are putting on on teams is elite, and if they can keep that up, I think that maybe is the one thing to really look at against Kentucky mm-hmm. because they're you know Kentucky you figure is going to come out and really try to run the ball with a brand new quarterback, but if they can get the quarterback in a situation where he has to throw and and they're able to get to him, you figure that that really bodes well for the season because you figure that Miami's going to or sorry that you figure that Kentucky's probably going to try to protect him with quick throws, try to protect them with max protect when they try to go deep, those sorts of things. If Florida can get pressure with their front four, I think that's a real good sign for the rest of the year. And that is exactly where we're going next. Kentucky will be starting a new quarterback uh, after Terry Wilson goes down. Sawyer Smith uh, inserted into the game this past Saturday versus Eastern Michigan. Uh, kind of a rundown here uh, of what he did, uh, according to the uh, 24-7 Sports uh, Kentucky site. Uh, on his first pass as a, uh, as a Wildcat, Smith threw a jump ball down the sideline to uh, Jumbo wideout Ahmad Wagner. Came down with it and raced uh, 54 yards for a touchdown. And on his final pass of the night, Smith found Lynn Bowden in the corner of the end zone for a two-yard touchdown, and that provided the 38-17 final score margin. He finished the night 5 of 9, passing for 76 yards and two touchdowns in his Kentucky debut. Smith filled in last season at Troy for starter Caleb Barker, who was lost for the year to a knee injury in the sixth game of the 2018 season. Smith went 5-2 and two as a starter, completing 144 or 229 passes for 1,669 yards, 14 touchdowns, while also rushing for 191 yards and a score. He completed 18 of 22 attempts for 317 yards and a touchdown in a 26-16 win over Louisiana Lafayette. Uh, Smith completed 21 of 28 passes for 287 yards and a touchdown in the Trojans' 35-21 victory over Georgia Southern and was named the most valuable player of the Dollar General Bowl after leading Troy to a 42-32 win um, uh, the, over Buffalo as well, where he completed 31 of 44 passes for 320 yards and four uh, touchdowns. So, uh he has appeared in six games as a freshman at Troy in 2016 before redshirting uh, and then uh, the 2017 season is from the state of Florida. Uh, and and um, so he was a two-time Pensacola News Journal all-area pick, all-state as a senior, and combined the pass for 5,627 yards and 47 touchdowns his final two seasons. As a senior in 2016, Smith was rated as the number 21 dual-threat quarterback in the country by 24-7 Sports and was committed to UCF before he flipped to Troy. Uh, Will, I'm doing a little more research on him. He has a big arm, uh, likes to hit passes down the field. So I would look for some, kind of like you said, in, 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 alluding, in alluding to him, uh, if what Kentucky may try to do is protect him as much as they can through the run game, maybe some max protect, but also maybe try and hit some shots down the field with his big arm. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because he he only averaged it at Troy 7.3 yards per attempt when he was there, which is basically average. Um, he ran um, 74 times for 191 yards, 2.6 yards per rush. So significantly worse than Frank's last year, but he's not a statue. So he's not back there just getting sacked. I think the biggest thing is, is you know, I, I mean, obviously you never wish an injury on somebody. I've had that patella injury and it is not fun, but you know, Wilson was a house of horrors for Florida last year, and they just could not contain him. And this is a situation where, again, you look at the defense that wants to bring pressure, and a guy like Wilson can really neutralize that. I don't, I don't think that Smith is going to be able to do that. Um, he, he can step up in the pocket, he can run a little bit, but he's not going to make them pay the way Wilson did last year if they get out of their rush lanes. And um, you know, I, I think this is one of those things where he sort of is what what he says he is. I mean, you know, he had, uh, you know. 229 attempts and 7.3 yards per attempt. I think that's probably what you should expect. Maybe a little bit of a downgrade. The one thing for Kentucky, I would say, is that you know this is different than bringing in a true freshman. I mean, if you brought in a true freshman who didn't have any experience, you'd look at it and say, okay, you know, you can spook him. I don't know that you're necessarily going to be able to spook him. I just think at the end of the day, um, you know, 
he's going to have to hit a few deep passes. They're going to have to get some turnovers if, if Kentucky's really going to be in this one. All right, well, I don't know. Uh, you'll probably have your Kentucky preview up uh, a little bit later this week. Uh, you know, so taking probably haven't had a chance to look too too far into Kentucky, being a past what our, our season preview was uh, just a few weeks ago. But uh, at least from the Gator side, you know, we talked from from Frank's a little bit. Anything from the Gator side you're looking forward to seeing Saturday? Yeah, I mean, I actually want to see if they try to air it out real early. Because yeah. I feel like they were sort of, you know, it felt like they were trying to do a few things against UT Martin to see what the offensive line could do. And finally, in the second quarter, just said, screw it. And then started chucking <laughs> the ball downfield. And and I want to know if they're going to do that against uh, against Kentucky. I don't think they necessarily are going to have the patience to sit there and try to run the ball forever. I, I think, you know, in, in the... In the third quarter against Miami, they decided they were going to put the game in Frank's hands, and they did. And then, obviously, in the fourth quarter, a couple of those interceptions uh, made that look like an unwise move, or at least could have made that look like an unwise move. Uh, it wasn't until the second quarter that they put it in Frank's hands to start with. I expect them to come out chucking. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to come out. I think they're going to try to hit some deep passes early. I think they're going to really try to bury Kentucky early and make Smith beat them. And if you can take the, if you can take Kentucky out of its ability to run the ball, you can pin the ears back to your defensive ends and come after their quarterback. I think they're going to really struggle. So I would expect that this is one of those games where, you know, Mullen has been relatively conservative the entire time he's been at Florida because of some of the limitations he had at quarterback, but I think also because some of the limitations that he had on the offensive line, I think what he's seen in the first two games is that, um, the limitations on the offensive line are more the running game and that he doesn't really have those same limitations at quarterback anymore. Um, at least not the way it was early last year. And so I expect him to come out and, and try to chuck it. Yeah. That's kind of the same game plan I expected for uh, the Miami game. Uh, of course, going against a young quarterback there was, he was coming out trying to, trying to get up, trying to get up big. Uh, they almost did that of course, uh, and make them fight from behind. Uh, so I, I kind of agree with you there. I see it kind of see that being, especially with the new quarterback change, make them fight from behind. Uh, and seeing what Smith can do uh, there in, in that situation with this crazy pass rush Florida has uh, going on. Well, it was announced uh, the next game for Florida after Kentucky will be Tennessee, and that game will kick off at noon on ESPN, ESPN2, or SEC Network. Uh, probably a little bit of explainer here and why the game, you know, if Tennessee was going to be a little bit better, it could have been picked up by 330, uh, by CBS for the 330 game for the first part of their doubleheader. Uh, but since CBS also has a night game, their doubleheader, and they pick Georgia Notre Dame, no conference, no, you know, you can't have a conference versus conference. You can't have an SEC versus SEC team go head to head with that due to the contract that CBS has. So if they, when they, when CBS flexes and, and uses their, their doubleheader uh, game, the night game cannot have an SEC versus SEC matchup going against it as competition. So Georgia Notre Dame is the headliner for CBS uh, Saturday night with Tennessee kind of falling on their face so far this season. Of course, it wasn't going to get picked up at 3.30 with uh, Texas A&M and Auburn uh, as well coming up this weekend. So noon it is, Will. Uh, it's going to be a hot one in the swamp when Tennessee travels uh, down here to Gainesville as I said, noon kickoff either on ESPN, ESPN2, or the SEC Network. Yeah, well, let's look on the bright side. One is that we'll get to go to bed reasonably early on Saturday. <laughs> um, the the other is, is that we'll get to watch these good games. Because yeah. you know, last week, if you wanted to watch Florida play UT Martin, then you couldn't watch LSU play Texas, at least not completely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that was a, that was an entertaining game from everything that I saw on the rewatch. So, um, you know, I, I think – Obviously, obviously, Tennessee is earning the noon slot right now. I would say, based on some of the Gators' future opponents, this probably isn't the only noon game we should expect. I think maybe the Saturday after Thanksgiving, we might have another noon game as well. But, uh, <laughs> you know, that's the reality of it, is that when your rival's struggling, uh, you're not going to get the primetime game against them. So it's a shame because, you know, it's sort of a tradition to have that at 3.30, but usually both teams are 3-0 and or 4-0 coming into that game. And uh, this year, I'm not sure that Tennessee – I think Tennessee he might end up with the best with the worst record in the state <laughs> coming into that game so um yeah they're struggling i mean there's no doubt about that and you know when you can't beat byu and you can't beat georgia state i think people see the writing on the wall that it might be another game like last year and you know nobody was watching that game after the second quarter except for hardcore florida fans and obviously ratings are important so i can understand why they'd have texas a&m and auburn <laughs> and georgia notre dame up high so you know i love seeing florida play at seven o'clock but 
or or even at three thirty. But I, I get it in this case, and I suspect that the Auburn game and the LSU game and the Georgia game are going to get high billing, and so we're still going to get our prime time fix this year. Yeah, exactly. Those games will definitely be, uh, you know, three thirty or prime time. You, you would have to think there. Uh, especially, you know, Georgia's already slipped, kind of set for 3.30 every year anyways because of the uh, the contract with the city of Jacksonville. But uh, that game uh, has kind of has, has kind of has to kind of be slotted there uh, for that when they make that contract uh, for the game. So, uh, Will, man, anything else coming up? As I said, I know you'll be uh, releasing your uh, Kentucky preview uh, as well uh, later this week on readreaction.com. Uh, also, you've had uh, some guests lately uh, right for the site. Yeah, so we've had Olivia Granola and uh, Bill Sykes has been on there a little bit recently too. So, yeah. um, you know, he and I are talking behind the scenes, and he's it's always fun to talk to Bill because sometimes it's uh, you know he's talking me off the ledge, and sometimes I'm talking him off the ledge when when stuff's going wrong <laughs> or things that we're seeing. So we both are sort of natural cynics, so it's good when uh, when the two of us get together because it sort of turns into a cycle. But uh, yeah, so we've had some people writing for the site. Go ahead and check it out. There's a lot of different perspectives over there and certainly uh, hopefully add something to the conversation in terms of how Florida's playing and and what to look for. I've, I've had a couple of people reach out and tell me I've become a homer since I uh, <laughs> since I went down and spoke at the quarterback club because it's been nothing <laughs> positive ever since then. But I assure you that if I see statistics that tell me that uh, – that Frank's or the offense isn't progressing, I will I will put it out there. But uh, you know, as of right now, I'm pretty positive about where the team is this year. There are some things I think about next year that that we're going to need to be concerned about. But I'm just living in the now, man. Enjoy it now. Enjoy this season, and uh, you know, hopefully we get to that. Hopefully we get to that gauntlet where we've got you know, enjoy the wins while we get them against teams we should beat, and then let's get into the schedule and see if we can pull out a few against teams that maybe we shouldn't beat or at least aren't favored with, and uh, sort of go from there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Later this week, like I said, I'll put the Kentucky preview episode will be up. Uh, Kevin McGuffey uh, had him on the last couple of years previewing Kentucky. So Kevin will be back on uh, giving us a look at, um, at, at the Kentucky Wildcats there. So uh, of course, uh, always a good time um, uh, w- w- when he's on. Also talking with Troop later on this week, probably on Thursday, uh, we'll get Ben Troop on here uh on well on newsforjacks.com slash cadence breakdown uh new for news for jacks exclusive talking with troop every week uh on uh, news for jacks so that's will miles you can find him on twitter at will miles scc and his site read and reaction.com i'm the host of Gators breakdown david waters you can find me on twitter at getter dave underscore scc guys and girls out there thanks for listening to this episode of gators breakdown